0: Don't lose your head, unless that's your thing, of course. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for nearly headless horsemen.
1: But you would think, wouldn't you, that getting hit 45 times in the neck with a blunt axe would qualify you to join the headless hunt. Half an inch of skin and sinew holding my neck on, Harry. Most people would think that's good and beheaded, but oh no, it's not enough for Sir Properly Decapitated-Podmore.
2: I'm Heather Price-Right.
0: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: Welcome to the big old episode 10.
0: Wow, we're in double digits.
2: Woo! It's yeah! It's like it's our birthday, but not. We are reading, once again, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We are going to find out this week what the heck that title is all about in the chapters called The Death Day Party and The Writing on the Wall. Spooky. Yeah, extremely spooky. You're going to hear spoilers. You're going to hear cursing. And this week we'll feature some adult themes. Let's talk about those. This week's adult themes are paranormal activity, Small talk, disappointing buffet dinners, one-upsmanship, for-profit colleges, and anything ever written in blood. Ever. Ugh. Just don't do that. It's gross.
0: It's unsanitary. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, Tell us what happened this week.
0: Of course. In this week's chapters, Harry is going brooms to the wall, training under Oliver Wood's Insane Quidditch regimen and he gets extremely fucking muddy in the process because it's all weather They don't have rain delays in Quidditch Anyway, Harry is very soiled after one practice Heads back into the castle and is immediately busted by Argus Filch the caretaker for tracking filth into the castle. Harry gets hauled into Filch's office to face the consequences for, as Filch puts it, befouling the castle. But he is bailed out by nearly headless Nick, who six Peeves on a vanishing cabinet. Peeves drops this cabinet over Filch's office and Filch goes apeshit and runs after Peeves. While Harry's waiting in Filch's office, he sees this letter from basically the trump university of magic which purports to teach you how to be a wizard so harry's thinking what's that all about uh anyway nearly headless nick invites harry to his death day party which is the opposite of a birthday party nearly headless nick is a ghost for those of you who uh may have forgotten in gratitude to nearly headless nick harry agrees to go to this death day party with ron and hermione It is a real fucking bummer because there's no edible snacks. It's all rotting food that smells really terrible. But apparently this gives ghosts like a sense of the flavor. There's some awkward cocktail chatter with Moaning Myrtle who's this super emo ghost who haunts the girl's bathroom. Her and Hermione kind of have a history and it's generally pretty gloomy. It gets crashed by the Headless Hunt, which Sir Nick would like to join, but he's not allowed, because he's only nearly headless. He's just, uh, there's like a millimeter of sinew attaching uh, his head to his neck. So, you know, parties are fraught for everyone involved, generally, even ghosts. So after tripping on all this death day party anxiety, Harry and the gang leave, and then Harry once again hears the mysterious evil voice saying that it's about to kill something. Harry, like the true Gryffindor he is, instead of going to Dumbledore or some other authority, decides to follow the scary monster voice, and they emerge into this corridor and see there's all this water on the floor, and boom, there's red writing on the wall that says, Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. And ba-ba-ba, bu- bu- motherfucking Mrs. Norris is hanging from, what is it, like a torch? It's
2: like a sconce. Yeah,
0: like a sconce, and looking like she's been taxidermied, basically. Filch and the rest of class come up after the Halloween feast. Oh, also it's a Halloween feast, so they went to this awful party instead of going to the Halloween feast, so that's a drag. Anyway, Filch and the rest of school burst into the corridor shortly after this, and there's a big commotion. Filch is traumatized by seeing whatever's happened to his cat. Dumbledore and company come to investigate. We real, we learn that Mrs. Norris has only been petrified. She's not dead, and that she can be restored, but nobody knows who did this. In the process, we figure out that Filch is a squib, which is why he had the magical correspondence course. A squib is a person of magical ancestry, but no magic powers to speak of everybody in the school is discussing the chamber of secrets and what that means hermione of course is trying to get to the bottom of this she asks professor Binns, who is another their ghost professor in the history of magic and he explains the origin of the chamber of Secrets. should i get into that now Alright, we'll get into that later. Basically, there may or may not be a secret chamber with a monster that Salazar Slytherin, the bad, the baddie founder of Hogwarts, out of the four, may or may not have made. Anyway, as Harry Ron and Hermione are wont to do, they resolve to figure out who opened the Chamber of Secrets, and they suspect it might be Draco, because Draco's an asshole. Anyway, that's where we are, this, uh,
2: yeah. this section. So yeah, Felch is a squib.
0: Right. Squibs
2: and are a thing. Do
0: we have any quibbles with the squibbles?
2: <laughs> I don't know if I have quibbles exactly. It's just interesting to learn more about how magic can move through bloodstreams. I mean, a squib, as Ron describes it, it's basically exactly the opposite of what like Hermione is.
1: Mm-hmm. And what on earth's a squib? Said Harry. To his surprise, Ron stifled a snigger. "'Well, it's not funny, really. "'But as it's Filch,' he said, "'a squib is someone who was born into a wizarding family "'but hasn't got any magic powers, "'kind of the opposite of muggle-born wizards. "'But squibs are quite unusual. "'If Filch is trying to learn magic from a quick spell course, "'I reckon he must be a squib. "'It would explain a lot, like why he hates students so much.' "'Ron gave a satisfied smile. "'He's bitter.'
2: But they're not muggles, which is interesting. Like they're still allowed to be a part of the magical world because you know like they're not subject to the same secrecy and ostracization that just a regular old muggle would be among witches and wizards, like Filch works at the school for witchcraft and wizardry. So clearly he's not subjected to the same kind of statutes of secrecy, which is interesting. I don't know, I'm worried about how the magical world treats
0: Yeah, it feels like there's kind of a disability analog here, or differently, if that makes sense. Yeah. Filch is differently abled than, you know, everyone he lives with. And not many accommodations appear to be made for him. Like, he's the caretaker of the entire castle, where a magical person could just use spells to clean it. He has to basically get on his hands and knees and scrub this massive sprawling complex.
2: Yeah, it seems kind of unfair. But at the same time, I guess there probably aren't that many jobs in the wizarding world that a squib really could do. Like maybe this is kind of what's available to him. I mean, I
0: don't know. It seems like wizards and witches in the Ministry of Magic are mostly filling out paperwork 24-7. That's true. Although presumably within the wizarding world, Filch wouldn't have been admitted into Hogwarts because he wouldn't be able to do any classwork. So he doesn't seem like he has any kind of formal education.
2: Yeah, that's weird that you wouldn't send squibs at least to like muggle school so that they could learn to like read and write put them in the
0: public education system
2: right um right so so clearly filch can't have actually gone to school because he couldn't have performed any of the tasks in school it also explains well like you said so he has to clean the castle by hand so it kind of explains why he forces ron for his detention to clean the trophy room using only elbow grease. No magic. I guess I came in this chapter to understand why Filch is so resentful of the students and why he's such a bitter person. And it's kind of sad that Ron views that as like really funny. Yeah, he chuckles. He does. He's like, oh, he must be so bitter. And it just, it seems really mean. Like it seems like Filch has had a fairly difficult life. And then the only creature he loves on this earth, his cat wife, gets fucking almost murdered. I
1: know. At last Dumbledore straightened up. She's not dead, Argus, he said softly. Lockhart stopped abruptly in the middle of counting the number of murders he had prevented. Not dead, choked Filch, looking through his fingers at Mrs. Norris. But why is she all all stiff and frozen? She has been petrified, said Dumbledore. Ah, I thought so, said Lockhart. But how? I cannot say. Ask him, shrieked Filch, turning his blotched and tear-stained face to Harry. No second year could have done this, said Dumbledore firmly. It would take dark magic of the most advanced. He did it, he did it, Filch spat, his pouchy face purpling. You saw what he wrote on the wall. He found, in my office. He knows I'm a, I'm a. Filch's face worked horribly. He knows I'm a squib, he finished. I never touched Mrs. Norris, Harry said loudly, uncomfortably aware of everyone looking at him, including all the Lockharts on the walls. And I don't even know what a squib is. Rubbish, snarled Filch. He saw my quick spell
3: letter.
2: So it's interesting that there's sort of hatred and um prejudice in the magical world toward both "Quote unquote," mudbloods and squibs. Anyone who's not kind of on the straight and narrow in terms of what kind of magical person they are gets a lot of heat in this world. It's a really kind of conscribing culture.
0: Right. It's clearly a source of great shame
2: in Filch's life. Because it's true. well, no,
0: for any anyone who's a squib, right. or even for their families. Because remember, in *Sorcerer's Stone*, Neville talks about how his family was really worried that he wasn't magical. And when they discovered he was, everyone was like crying with relief.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Filch's life must have been hard. It's also sad that he's turning to this incredibly predatory pyramid scheme for profit university program. He's getting conned. He's getting conned.
3: Feel out
1: of step in the world of modern magic? Find yourself making excuses not to perform simple spells? Ever been taunted for your woeful wand work? There is an answer. Quickspell is an all-new, fail-safe, quick-result, easy-learn course. Hundreds of witches and wizards have benefited from the Quickspell method. Madam Z. Nettles of Topsham writes, I had no memory for incantations, and my potions were a family joke. Now, after a Quickspell course, I am the center of attention at parties, and friends beg for the recipe of my scintillation solution. Warluck DJ Prod of Didsbury says, my wife used to sneer at my feeble charms, but one month into your fabulous Quickspell course, and I succeeded in turning her into a yak. Thank you, spell.
2: And Filch clearly doesn't have a ton of money. So, or any. I don't know. Do you think he just gets broom and board at broom Hogwarts and board. or uh, do you think he actually gets paid?
0: I he gets paid in smooches from Mrs. Norris, for all I know. I don't know.
2: I wonder if Mrs. Norris is a Hogwarts creature, if or if she came with Filch from wherever he is from. Actually I think it's really interesting that the first victim of whatever is in the Chamber of Secrets is a squib because it does set out for you exactly how much prejudice and fear Squibs face. But it also doesn't make a ton of sense because it's not like Filch is like a student at the school. So I don't know why they want to drive him out. Well, it's even like, worse if you're him. working
0: for the school in a way. Why? If you're a member of the institution itself.
2: But he's not really. I mean, he's the he's the janitor. Like he's not a teacher. He's not like molding young wizarding minds. Yeah,
0: but you can serve detention with him, and uh... he
2: does straight up torture people. So <laughs> maybe he kind of should be okay, removed. Okay,
0: cleaning the trophy room isn't torture.
2: He tries to torture okay, people. Okay, yeah,
0: but you know he wants to, but he doesn't really.
2: I don't know if you should keep someone on staff that wants to torture people. Yeah, I don't know. I'm having really mixed feelings about Filch because I feel really sad for him. The quick spell scene makes me really, really sad, but also Filch is such a bastard.
0: This is a recurring theme in these books is how people respond to trauma and really bad things happening to them because Filch's life isn't any worse than Harry's childhood of being locked in a cupboard at night and abused by his aunt and uncle. If only emotionally.
2: That's true. But at the same time, Filch does have to inhabit an entire world where he is right. utterly unwelcome and despised by many. I mean, Harry's is just sort of like a personal trauma where people in his life, for very specific reasons, hate him. As opposed to the sort of like dull ache of bigoted hatred for what you are right harry yeah. has kind of overcomable problems and filch is never not going to be a squib yeah also, whatever yeah, quick spell says
0: harry finds his place in a society that he does belong in and squibs belong in neither because they know the magical world but you know they don't have the power of magic it'd be very difficult to slide into the muggle world with that knowledge And just exist in it. It'd be very weird. There should
2: be some provisions in the magical world for squibs. Because you're right. They can't just kick them out. Because they're not going to settle comfortably in Muggle. Although, you know, Mrs. Fig is a squib.
0: Yeah, she does alright. She's got her cats.
2: But she does seem to have kind of a lonely life. And she does seem to really, truly not belong anywhere.
0: Right. Well, we'll have to get to that in Order of the Phoenix.
2: Yeah. Which is
0: actually, Filch is a big part of that book. So
2: just from like a kind of world building perspective it's interesting to get this new category within the wizarding world that gets treatment actually worse substantially worse than muggle-born witches and wizards Mm -hmm. most people most segments of wizarding society welcome them there's just like a pretty narrow swath of bad guys that don't think that muggle-born wizards belong but seemingly everyone it's like one of those things where like you know even progressive people have like these massive blind spots for how they treat certain segments of the population and it doesn't even occur to even the kind of good guys in Harry Potter that like squibs get the shaft. I'm surprised that even Hermione who later on makes a real serious point to stand up for the rights of different magical creatures doesn't think that it's kind of bullshit that Filch is treated so badly as a squib. But to be fair Filch earns the ire of every Hogwarts students like regardless of how the wizarding world treats squibs like Filch needs to be less of a horror show
0: cat people I don't know what are you gonna do with them
2: yeah it's true he's just a weird cat guy
0: so here's a big element of these chapters and that's the fact that ghosts are real
2: we already know that
0: I know but let's just reiterate in the Harry Potter universe ghosts are real They walk among you. They're basically... Well, at Hogwarts, they're basically hall monitors and docents, which is kind of funny. Uh, Every Hogwarts house has its own ghost who basically provides orientation to first years
2: (laughs) what a way to spend eternity
0: (laughs) yeah sir nick's main function it seems to be is helping lost students like find their classes in the first week and then you know floating around and rooting on the quidditch team i don't know they're like these mascots (laughs) so that's an interesting aspect of ghosts also not everyone seems to become a ghost So...
2: Yeah, I have questions about that. Like, we
0: don't have the ghosts of Lily and James around to guide Harry Potter. I Uh, wish we
2: knew a little bit more about ghost lore and ghost making in the Harry Potter universe.
0: A large number of them seem to have been the victims of capital punishment.
2: I mean, it's it's violent deaths. Yeah. All of the ghosts seem to have died violent deaths, like been murdered in some way.
0: Right. But people who, uh, spoiler alert, but there's going to be hella murder in the books to follow. And none of those characters become ghosts.
2: Yeah, I wonder what in a person's life. Well, and, you know, Professor Binns just... Gets up out of his body one day, and he kind of dies quietly by the fire in the staff lounge. And then he just gets out of, up out of his body as a ghost and goes to class. So, like, why the fuck is that guy a ghost? It seems.
0: <laughs> I love that detail, though. I love it, it too. It catches. I don't. It catches something essential about a certain type of teacher and a certain type of person who is so regimented that, of course, they would just continue to do. Literally, their routine he does
2: not notice that he's dead.
0: <laughs> in the in the afterlife,
2: right. And even when he does figure out that he's dead, he's just like, eh, well, the kids still need me to lecture at them in a droning drawl for hours, so better get up and do it. Like, maybe, maybe spend your afterlife doing something fun, like haunting the shit out of people, rather than just continuing to be a boring teacher at a school that doesn't appreciate you.
0: Well, and that is an interesting aspect of many of the ghosts, is that they seem to be dead and loving
2: it yeah live up your death boys and girls they do well it's funny that there's like a whole ghost society mm-hmm and they really revel in the kind of morbid aspects of ghostdom. like there's ghost culture which right. I really like they have death day parties
0: and their own music and
2: there are like friend ghosts like all of Sir Nicholas's ghost pals
0: come up for the weekend including like the
2: wailing widow i like that they all get these names they all get these (laughs) ghost names after they've died right yeah they come up for the weekend to like enjoy the party that's nice i guess
0: they don't seem to be enjoying some elements of it
1: look food said ron on the other side of the dungeon was a long table also covered in black velvet they approached it eagerly but next moment had stopped in their tracks horrified The smell was quite disgusting. Large rotten fish were laid on handsome silver platters. Cakes burnt charcoal black were heaped on salvers. There was a great maggoty haggis, a slab of cheese covered in furry green mold, and, in pride of place, an enormous grey cake in the shape of a tombstone, with tar-like icing forming the words, Sir Nicholas de Mimsey-Porpington died 31st October 1492. Two. Harry watched, amazed, as a portly ghost approached the table, crouched low, and walked through it, his mouth held wide so that it passed through one of the stinking salmon. Can you taste it if you walk through it? Harry asked him. Almost, said the ghost, sadly, as he drifted away. I expect they've let it rot to give it a stronger flavor said Hermione, knowledgeably, pinching her nose and leaning closer to look at the putrid haggis. Can we move? I feel sick, said Ron.
0: So, I mean, they're a little bummed that they can't enjoy, you know, some of the pleasures of the flesh. I wonder
2: if you can choose to be a ghost or, like, if... Like, can nearly headless Nick decide, fuck it, I'm done being a ghost? Like, like, I want to go wherever most people go, whether it's Wizard Heaven or Wizard Hell or just. Oblivion. Maybe
0: the ghosts at Hogwarts are just like those theater kids that kept like coming back year after year <laughs> after they graduated. To like, right. they're like the twenty-two-year-old that shows up at the cast party. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, you should,
2: you should, you should move not, along.
0: Yeah, you should be moved along and you should move away from that freshman.
2: Yeah, no sixteen-year-old ghosts yeah. for you.
0: So I, I don't know. because they're mascots. You know, they're like school spirit.
2: They really like are. The fat
0: priors like, fuck yeah, go Hufflepuff, go it's pups. True.
2: The- Bloody Baron is a pretty accurate representation of the overall culture of Slytherin, but still a huge bummer. It's
0: just perpetual homecoming for these guys.
2: (laughs) Well, it's also, it's shitty to imagine. Like, I got kind of depressed thinking about this, that you could spend eternity continuing to be sort of bummed out about, like, minor social slights. The whole reason (laughs) that Nearly Headless Nick is in the corridor when Harry comes in and drips mud everywhere being kind of preoccupied and like you know sad is that he's just been notified that he is not headless enough to join the headless hunt and it's just like dude you're dead who cares but I mean clearly he still does so I can't tell if it's like kind of delightful or like incredibly depressing that nearly headless Nick is literally spending eternity having the same kind of like social ups and downs. That I frankly hope my death eliminates from me having to experience. Well, it's even
0: worse for Moating Myrtle. Who oh my god. Is still haunting the bathroom, dwelling on her awful school experience.
2: I know. Like, move on, Myrtle. You got murdered. Maybe this was a little bit of a blessing, girl. Oof. Well, no, but I mean, it means that she could probably do something with her death other than think about people calling her pimply. It's it's very depressing that all of these. I mean, maybe it's maybe the kind of person that becomes a ghost is inherently the kind of person that dwells on that stuff, because maybe they all come back because they're unable to let go of these kind of minor slights in the lives that they live.
0: Hell is other people, man.
2: Yeah, in this book, hell is literally bullies
0: and really awkward parties.
2: Yeah. I don't know. The ghosts seem to be having fun. It's only awkward for Harry, Ron, and Hermione. That's
0: true. Uh, Another thing I like is that the ghosts have, yeah, they've reclaimed death in a weird way.
2: Yeah, they have this kind of cultish, like, culture
0: around it. Yeah, they have the Death Day Party, which marks the beginning of, obviously, their afterlife. Mm
2: -hmm. They have a cake in the shape of a tombstone. It is this, they do have this sort (laughs) of morbid humor around They have a headless hunt. Yeah, the the
0: headless hunt itself is making fun of the fact that they were all horribly decapitated. Right. And that's the only way you can join. (laughs) And they're, you know, they're playing sports with their heads, and everybody's loving this when they come in and uh, start playing head hockey.
2: (laughs) He even. It makes
0: you way cooler in death to have died in a particularly spectacular fashion.
2: Right. The more fucked up death, the more kind of, like, ghost cachet which, you have. Well, which we see with the Bloody Baron, who is by far the most, like, the coolest ghost, <laughs> because he seems to have had the most horrendous thing happen to him.
0: You'd think they'd be a bit nicer to Nick then, man. And he said, like, 47 blows with a dull axe. It was, uh, but it was Nick pretty is unpleasant so, for me.
2: Nick is so prissy that people are, like, you need, like, Nick needs to be more, like, laid back the basic indication that he's getting from his ghost compatriots is just like, you are literally dead. Like, chill out. (laughs) But I like that he even starts his speech. They have this whole kind of vernacular. He says, lamentable ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It's funny. They just, yeah, they have this like morose kind of humor around the circumstance of being a ghost, which I really appreciate. I also think, we've talked about this with Voldemort, um, J.K. Rowling really interesting on the subject of mortality and the ghosts are kind of a fun but very thematic detail. I mean her point is quite literally that there are fates worse than death and I like that the ghosts are this kind of manifestation of like seriously everybody dies and it's fine.
0: And living forever wouldn't be that great
2: Right, that's the other thing. The ghosts have these kind of lame, banal lives and she seems to be saying, you don't want this. Yeah. You do not want to live forever because life will just remain sort of boring. (laughs) Like having an end in sight is one of the things that makes being alive remotely interesting. Right. And the ghosts are this kind of like manifestation of how fucking stupid stupid it would be to live forever. Yeah. But another thing that's weird about the wizarding world is it doesn't seem to have changed much since Nick was alive. It's not like Nick is like, oh my God, cell phones. (laughs) He still knows how to use all of the technology that contemporary wizards
0: have. Yeah, he's putting like a ghost letter in his pocket.
2: Exactly. Because there's no ghost emails. And it's still, I mean, it's been owls clearly since he was around. Like, because if you think about it, like, if there was a ghost, he died in 1492. Mm -hmm. If there was a ghost around in the muggle world. Wait, it was
0: 1492?
2: Yeah. Isn't that funny? He wasn't, I I don't think he's Columbus. Right.
0: That's not
2: nearly as big a deal in England as it is here. Right, right. 1492 wouldn't be this, like, I noticed it right away. Wow. But yeah, he was born, he was, or he died in 1492. So if there was a ghost around in contemporary muggle life from 1492 they would be like literally what the fuck is happening (laughs) but Sir Nicholas is just like candles? Check slavery? Check the same exact castle that children are learning the same exact spells in? Check
0: the clothes have changed a bit
2: owl mail? Check the clothes have changed but that's like not even what back to the future is like 20 30 years in the future yeah and they're like whoa like so much is different <laughs> and Cernic is like yeah honestly it's been hundreds of years and y'all are doing pretty much the same shit also the chamber of secrets has been opened so sorry to bury the lead because that's the literal title of this book but that's another thing we should talk about
0: <laughs> um it's a chamber it's opened Something bad was inside? I'm sorry. I'm at a loss for words. I'm so shocked that the Chamber of Secrets was opened that I can't even think about what to say
2: about it. Well, it's a legend. So Professor Binns, for example, is very convinced that it doesn't exist. But Professor Binns is the one that actually provides the explanation of what the Chamber of Secrets even is after Hermione makes a big stink in his class. She's just like, um, you've literally never been useful. (laughs) So, chop chop, like, tell us what the fuck this thing is.
1: Oh, very well, he said slowly.
3: Let me see the Chamber of Secrets. You all know, of course, that Hogwarts was founded over a thousand years ago. The precise date is uncertain, by the four greatest witches and wizards of the age. The four schoolhouses are named after them, Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin. They built this castle together, far from prying muggle eyes, for it was an age when magic was feared by common people, and witches and wizards suffered much persecution. He
1: paused, gazed blearily around the room, and continued.
3: For a few years, the founders worked in harmony together, seeking out youngsters who showed signs of magic and bringing them to the castle to be educated. But then disagreements sprang up between them. A rift began to grow between Slytherin and the others. Slytherin wished to be more selective about the students admitted to Hogwarts. He believed that magical learning should be kept within all magic families. He disliked taking students of Muggle parentage, believing them to be untrustworthy. After a while, there was a serious argument on the subject between Slytherin and Gryffindor, and Slytherin left the school. Professor Binns paused again, pursing his lips, looking like a wrinkled old tortoise. Reliable historical sources tell us this much, he said, but these honest facts have been obscured by the fanciful legend of the Chamber of Secrets. The story goes that Slytherin had built a hidden chamber in the castle of which the other founders knew nothing. Slytherin, according to the legend, sealed the Chamber of Secrets so that none would be able to open it until his own true heir arrived at the school. The heir alone would be able to unseal the Chamber of Secrets, unleash the horror within, and use it to purge the school of all who were unworthy to study magic.
0: So, damn... Bins is really skeptical of this because it's not based in historical sources. It's all hearsay.
2: He's such a pedant. Even Hermione has a much more interesting and intelligent historical argument, which is like usually legend is based in something, bro.
0: This is true. Binz is not really up on... Uh... Yeah,
2: Hermione is a substantially more creative magical historian and a better thinker <laughs> than their ghost teacher. Well, a couple of things. Sorry to people who continue to disagree with this, but this legend basically confirms that Slytherins are trash. Yeah. Because their leader wanted one of them to come to Hogwarts one day, open a door, let out a monster to murder non-pureblood students. Like, I'm sorry, definition of being trash.
0: And yet we still have a house named after him.
2: Yeah, which this is the first time you kind of start to get a sense that the school kind of needs the magic that Salazar Slytherin, or that Salazar Slytherin seems to have basically booby-trapped the school that he built so that they can't just kick all of his people out.
0: Right, because they built it together.
2: Right, so the magic of all four founding Hogwarts Houses, or the the magic of all four of the founders of Hogwarts is interlinked in a way that you can't remove the magic of one of them without the whole school crumbling. So it seems like for, you know, generations and generations, the leaders of the school have basically just been trying to figure out how to, like, mitigate the damage of Slytherin.
0: What you say is really interesting about that because we see that in our own history where the foundation of something is not altogether awesome, but, I mean, structures like Hogwarts, once they're built, it's really hard to...
2: Take them apart and keep the good parts. Right.
0: So, I mean, it's like the Constitution of the U.S. is built on all these horrible compromises that have to do with slavery, and then the country itself is grappling with that for the next 200 years. So, like, Slytherin to me is like... He's this bad historical dude, but his name's still on everything. Right. (laughs) You know? It's like how we have stuff named after, like, John C. Calhoun.
2: Right. But, I mean, it is true that any contemporary culture continues to grapple with the positive and negative legacies of its sort of, like, founding... Fathers and And mothers. mothers, It's It's nice that Hogwarts has some fucking founding mothers. My God. That is nice. I'm really glad that Helga and Rowena are up in here. So, I mean,
0: Slytherin did a good... Slytherin was part of...
2: The founding of a good institution. Of a good thing, you know?
0: And uh, he had some troublesome ideas and philosophies, and they're literally... The legacy of which are literally lurking in a hidden chamber of... The it, school, yeah,
2: it is an interesting kind of externalization and literalization of what any culture or institution grapples yeah. with. Well, That's a my- really good way of looking at it. Like it's like if we talked about yeah, like right. I think the Constitution and the legacy of slavery is a really example. Well,
0: I, I was thinking about this because there is a writing slavery was described by some writers around the Civil War as this serpent that had lied coiled underneath the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and it had always been dormant, waiting to strike. And then when the Civil War erupted, that was the kind of uncoiling of...
2: That is crazy! Is that true, that yeah. people wrote about that? hmm Damn, I wonder if J.K. read that? I don't or know, just- but you
0: know, this. Uh, so to me, the Beast of Slytherin is this... Hogwarts went on to do good things... But there was always this menace, like, literally lurking in, like, the bowels of the castle that's the legacy of, you know, some of the more toxic elements of the founding of the school. Man. And it was always there, but it was easy to forget about.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. It was easy, and that's the thing. I mean, Professor Binns is a perfect representation of the people who, in any, like I said, again, in any society, in any culture, who wish to deny the fact of that legacy and kind of want to say, we don't really have to continue to deal with this because like, the past is the past. And
0: he's a historian, which is perfect.
2: Well, actually, so this book just won the National Book Award, um, and it's like a slightly different take, or I guess it's a slightly different issue, but um, The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which mm-hmm. just won the National Book Award for fiction, imagines the Underground Railroad as a literal infrastructural... Project as a literal railroad and i think the device of kind of literalizing or making manifest those kinds of concepts in fiction is well remains with us and is something that writers for grown-ups also do
0: i'm positive that she probably didn't read those the narratives about like Slavery she, described as a serpent. Also, maybe she
2: doesn't know a ton about American history. We saw that in Fantastic <laughs> yeah, Beasts. You know, and yeah, like, I love you, J.K. And that's fine because I don't know that much about British history. But like, she did not do yeah. a lot of research on America. And the
0: British books, but you know, yeah. British history deals with some of the like similar concerns. Right. Of-
2: well, here's a thing that is interesting, and it's just we get the first rumblings of it um, right after the attack. People start to think that Harry might be the heir of Slytherin. Mm-hmm. And to me that it just seems patently ridiculous. But so what that awakens in Harry is these latent fears about whether he is where he belongs. And that's a theme in Harry's character in every single one of these books. Like feeling like he might have, some part of the universe may have made a mistake in putting him where he is. So he's like hearkening back to when he put the sorting hat on for the first time. And the sorting hat wanted to put him in Slytherin and... Then didn't, and he's having like panic attacks about this because he's like, What if I somehow am the heir of Slytherin, or just what if I don't belong on the good team? And I think wondering if you belong on the good team to me is a sign that you do, because that kind of introspection Mm -hmm. is one of the most positive qualities a person who is complicated, as we are all complicated, can have. But Harry's, like, really, really panicking that maybe he is in some way connected to these, this, like,
0: attack. Right. I don't think Draco's going around thinking, am I being evil?
2: Well, here's the thing. Draco clearly wants people to think that he's the heir of Slytherin.
0: Right. Well, he has no chill, as we've discussed many times. And, uh, boy, now that he's, like, cool with saying the word mudblood, he's just going to use it all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is
2: just throwing it around. Just
0: learned a new word. Uh, also, you don't get points taken away from Slytherin for saying shit like that.
2: I was thinking <laughs> that. There's no discipline for yelling you'll be next Mudbloods. Like, he should have gotten in huge trouble for that. Yeah,
0: man, that's uh,
2: Dude, because Hogwarts is fucking complicated. It does not deal well with its, like, problematic history. I,
0: I guess McGonagall's just like, or whoever, ah, boys will be boys.
2: Ooh, I don't know. talk.
0: Maybe not. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Moaning Murphs That, was common, talk. Talk. Common that
0: was common room talk. Common
2: room talk. That was <laughs> common room talk. So here's a th- Interesting kind of adversarial relationship that gets set up in this chapter. This book sort of becomes Draco versus Hermione in a way that I think is really fun. What do you mean? Well, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and, you know, Harry is grappling with all these fears about whether he is bad or connected to this. But... Interestingly to me, Hermione is actually the only one of the trio that's, like, at risk here. Mm -hmm. So Hermione, you can see her taking it seriously in ways that Ron and Harry kind of aren't. Because she, and it, it sort of says something about their maturity and kind of whether they see her as, like, a whole person that they don't really seem to get how genuinely scared Hermione is because she is muggle-born. Mm-hmm. So she's a target of this dark creature or whatever it is in there. And Hermione and Draco clash a bunch of times in this book because he believes in the cause of purging the school and she is this like really specific representation of what he wants to get rid of, which is competition from talented with a uh, muggle-born wizards. So she is the one of the three of them that's most serious about getting to the bottom of it. And she's the one that suggests the polyjuice potion. Right. And she's like, well, we'd have to break about 50 rules. And she says that so nonchalantly. <laughs> and it's like, ah, uh, this is Hermione we're talking about. But she's like, no, look, this is actually my life. Right. Like, she... the, the heir of Slytherin isn't going to murder either of you. And I guess it sort of turns out that Harry is... The target in a way, but Harry isn't the target of the monster. Harry's pure blood. Right. Or mostly. Hermione and Draco have a really interesting dynamic. A lot of people, quote unquote, ship them, which disgusts me because uh, Draco is really good at dehumanizing Hermione and it grosses me out that people would imagine that it's because they have like some kind of like sexy like, rapport. Like, they don't. No. Draco wants Hermione to die. Stop shipping Dramione. That's, <laughs> it, you're wrong, guys. That's despicable. I just hate the idea that, like, oh, he's mean to you because he has a crush on you.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's true in this case.
2: Yeah, also, like, fuck off. Just be nice to me. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess that's not actually a, a quibble of, there's nothing in these books that indicates that, but I know that's, like, a really popular kind of, like, Fan fiction fic, yeah. pairing, and I it makes me kind of sick because Hermione's like, "Please don't murder me! I'm a mudblood. This is bad. This is real. This is my actual life." So yeah, Chamber of Secrets is open,
0: and Ron is doesn't want Harry to tell anyone about the voices he's hearing. That seems like bad advice.
2: Very stigmatizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fucking tell Dumbledore.
0: Come on, man. I don't know. Bad uh, call, Actually, Ron you know Ronsley. what?
2: I Never tell Dumbledore anything. In these books, I constantly want to be like, just tell McGonagall.
0: Well, fat, lot of good that did. And... Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, don't tell anyone, you know?
2: You're, maybe Ron's right. There's no adults you can trust.
0: I know. Snape's like, maybe we should expel you.
2: Mm. Snape's like, ooh, it sounds like you're probably insane and dangerous. <laughs> Let's put you in St. Mungo's. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, who could he tell? Hagrid clearly doesn't know what to do about any situations.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: Dumbledore's probably the best call, but very... he would probably have some fucked up, convoluted way of pinning Harry against Voldemort instead of just being like, oh, let's get you some help.
0: Yeah, Dumbledore's like, you want to go fight it?
2: Yeah. Alone? <laughs> Here's a sword. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. There's no grown ups. No, there's nobody you can trust. No. Just do it yourself, Harry. You're going to do fine. Uh,
0: another great moment in this chapter I just want to touch on really quickly is speaking of adults, acting irresponsibly, Snape wants to use this incident as an excuse to, just for caution's sake, remove Harry from the house. his house quidditch team, to which McGonagall is like, no fucking way.
2: Yeah, she's like, over my cold dead witch body, do you take away our seeker? <laughs> like, so? you may do whatever you like. With this young man, punish him in whatever way you see fit, send him into the fucking Forbidden Forest in the middle of the night, do not dare fuck with my bracket.
0: (laughs) She's such a sports fan. She
2: is. It's nice. I like it.
0: And it's funny that she and Snape really do have this bitter rivalry over... Quidditch. Over Quidditch, which seems genuine.
2: Oh yeah, no, both of them like really want to win Quidditch. (laughs) It's nice. Good for them.
0: Who's your unsung hero?
2: Mine is a very throwaway moment but my unsung hero is Fred Weasley because we hear this story of Fred. The reason Ron is afraid of spiders which is going to become very important very soon is because one time Ron broke Fred's toy broomstick so Fred turned his teddy bear into a spider. I think that's a really funny prank and I'm proud of him.
0: Yep. Who's yours? Uh, mine is actually Professor Binns. I know we've discussed he's a horrible teacher. He's doesn't show much academic creativity in analyzing The Legend of the Chamber of Secrets, but he does seem to be the only Hogwarts professor who actually has some kind of methodology or intellectual framework So ha- for how he runs the class. He says, we're only gonna deal with facts, with verifiable evidence, and that's how we're gonna tackle history and everybody else just seems to be like winging it. Like, oh, I brought pixies to class today, <laughs> so you know, Bins at least seems to have his teaching rooted in some kind of. He has like a pedagogy. He
2: does. He does have you a know, pedagogy. You can it's true. You Also, can man, pick it
0: apart. He's committed
2: to his job. Yeah, man. He is a ghost and has kept his dumb job.
0: He is a lifelong educator and then some.
2: And a deathlong educator. A deathlong
0: educator, and his classes are deathly boring.
2: <laughs> We barely talked about Gilderoy. Gilderoy Gilderoy's still around being a weirdo. I know. So, shout out to him. Yeah. His pictures dress up. His photographs on his wall put on rollers at night. (laughs) So, you know, that's some good shit. That's a good detail. I think that's it for me.
0: Yep. This week's episode is brought to you by Quick Spell, a correspondence course in beginner's magic. Quickspell alums have a 125% job placement rating. So... That's all good.
2: instructors are handpicked.
0: Yeah, all instructors are handpicked <laughs> by Mr. Quickspell himself.
2: Next week, we are going to be reading The Rogue Bludger and The Dueling Club, both in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, obviously. The audiobook clips that you heard are from Penguin Random House Audio, and Jim Dale performs them in uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, so you can get those wherever you get an audiobook please go to iTunes if you listen to this podcast on iTunes um, don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes.
0: We got our first one star rating this week.
2: Yeah, shout out to that guy. Um, one of
0: you hates us. That's fine. yeah, it's fine. I,
2: it's I I can see why. I guess <laughs> no, I don't I don't see why. Please rate us five stars. I think we deserve it. If you want to rate us a
0: hard three no we could t- we'll take uh, yeah
2: Rate yeah. us five stars. That would be nice of you. And leave a review if you have time. We love reading those as well. And they it helps also helps people
0: find us on iTunes. Yes, it helps
2: other people find the podcast.
0: We also have a newsletter. It's TinyLetter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. You can subscribe there for lots of extra fun updates, including this week's Owl News.
2: Yeah. And, and
0: we're on Twitter now.
2: Woohoo, social media. Which
0: is also at Quibbler Podcast. So if Twitter's your thing, you can follow us there for extra quibbles and, I don't know, social media goodness.
2: Yeah, Alex already tweeted, like, five hilarious things about the sorting hat, so you should definitely follow us on Twitter. Okay, see you next time. that's it.
0: Thanks, amigos.
1: I always knew Salazar Slytherin was a twisted old loony.